So let me introduce you to my friend Sarah. Here is a, a picture of us yesterday. She happened to, to be in town. It should come up. There we go. There's Sarah and I. Um, she happened to be in town, and I helped her. Um, her brother was moving acupuncture studios in Silver Lake, which is the most LA thing done I've, I've done in a long time. And um, she lives in Australia now. She married an, an Australian, but she happens to be in town. It's her, her first time um, being home um, since COVID started two years ago to be able to see your family. And uh, it was her first time for her parents to uh, see her kids. It was just great to have a little bit of time to catch up with her. She's very meaningful to me because I had a very interesting experience. It's not all that common. In elementary school, I had kind of this, this same track of friends, but then I went to um, my middle school time, and I show up on the first day of sixth grade, and um, my mom is my teacher for two of my classes. Not an ideal situation. Um, we handled it pretty well. Uh, she had me uh, twice in sixth grade, and then once in eighth grade. Luckily, she let me pass. But as we were reading the role that day, I remember the first day, so my first introduction is Shackman, Brian, and everyone's like, wait, isn't that the same last name as her? And then she's like, I'll get back to that one. And she came back and mentioned, just FYI, this, this is uh, my son in whom I'm well pleased. Um, and <laughs> she... That's like my first introduction. And if you think I'm awkward now, just think of me then. There's a fifth grade math video, which I'd highly recommend watching on YouTube of me to get an idea of exactly the phase Brian was in, uh, in that moment. And I'm like, hey, everybody, like, nice to meet you. Yeah, I'm the teacher's son. And Sarah was one of my first friends, a person who just was, was there for me from day one. Do you remember those awkward transition times? And so I wanted to make sure and spend some time with her yesterday while she's in town. And we talked about our COVID experience. And it was interesting to hear about hers because she married an Australian, like I said, and she's living there. And she said something that she's still experiencing from that time is that literally there were four or five months, Australia was a place that took it very seriously where she was not allowed to come home and to see her parents. Her son is now three. This is the first time for them to meet him. And as I think about that story, I know that there are difficult stories that we all have. During COVID, it's been hard to be single. During COVID, it's been hard to be married. Marriages have struggled. It's been hard to have kids. It's been hard to not have kids. It's been hard to be a teacher. It's been hard to be a doctor. It's been hard to be a pastor. It's been hard to be whatever it is. And we all have these experiences that we've experienced that are really hard and difficult, and I would encourage you to, to find somebody that you could talk to about this because there's been trauma that we all have experienced because of this time. And so I would invite you to, to speak to someone, to, to raise your hand. I'm available to do a spiritual counseling with you, but the first part of spiritual counseling starts with a sentence, I am not a trained counselor. So I will talk to you about the scriptures and we can talk about like what, what God's role is in your life. But I would ask you as we are going through this process to go talk to a trained a professional because it matters and it helps. And perhaps you need to work through some of the pain that you've experienced in a specific way with someone. And that's okay. 
I love how one of the great Christian writers, C.S. Lewis, says this. He says, mental pain is less dramatic than physical pain, but it's more common and also more hard to bear. The frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases the burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching and my heart is broken. And this is something that, that Scripture has talked about forever. Carolyn mentioned the, the emotions that Jesus experiences, the range of emotions, the ways that he identifies with all of us. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon says this this way, anxiety in the heart of man weighs it down, or put in more modern language, you might say, causes depression. But a kind word cheers it up. The word that is used for heart there is leb, and it's the, the Hebrew word that, that means heart, but it's different. When we talk about the heart, we think of it more emotionally, I would say, like, you know, follow your heart, listen to your heart, and just like let your emotions lead you. But in the Hebrew understanding, it's about like your inner world, your, your thought life, you're thinking, and then from there, like what then comes from that? What produces emotions and then actions? What I think Solomon is, is saying there is if you keep spinning on these things that are outside of your control, and yes, there are things that are always going to be outside of our control, it's not going to put you in a good place. But a kind word tying something else to your heart and remembering things that are important, allowing your thoughts to, to be centered on good things, it can change your direction. And you and I are the sum of what we think. Our thoughts lead to emotions and then lead to actions. As I mentioned last week, I've been able to talk with some members of our church who I know have, have sought some professional help with anxiety. So I want to say again, if, if you are experiencing that, you are not alone, even within our congregation. I've asked people to share some of their own experiences just anonymously. And one of the individuals said, when I'm in a state of, of anxiety, my mind is out of control. It's not a place of, of shalom or the peace of God. I need to step back and understand that there's deeper parts of life that I must dwell on. Paul in the New Testament says this in 2 Corinthians, we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. What's interesting about that is what, what Paul is, is saying, he uses the word soma for body, which is like the, the very physical part of your body, like every part of who you are. Oftentimes when we think about spirituality, it can just become something about like a place that you go when you die, and it's like this disembodied like soul experience, and like, you know, one day uh, my soul is just going to get up to heaven, and I'm going to be super surprised to see someone there, and you're going to be like, whoa, I can't believe you're there, and someone's going to be like, how did you make it? And we just have like these soul mingling experiences, but what, what Paul is saying here is that it gets down to the core of who you are, that the resurrection of Jesus may be shown all the way down to your fingernails. 
that the resurrection of Jesus would be about all of who you are. It isn't this like disembodied experience. It's about all of who you are. And I would argue almost more than anything that starts in your mind. You are ultimately what you think about and what you focus on. FDR said, men are not prisoners of fate, but prisoners of their own mind. And that was back when people said men for everything. It's humanity. We are not prisoners of fate, but prisoners of our own minds. And our thoughts become actions, become all of who we are. Where are some areas in your life where you need to change your thoughts so you can change your direction? There's a book that I would recommend that I've been reading with this series called Anxious for Nothing by Max Lucado. It's just a very helpful guide as I've been going through this series and thinking about this topic among some other things that I'm reading. And Lucado says this, the United States is now the most anxious, in, most anxious nation in the world. Congratulations to us. The land of the stars and stripes has become the country of stress and strife. It's a costly achievement. And this book was written in 2017, so way pre-pandemic. Stress-related ailments cost the nation $300 billion every year in medical bills and lost productivity, while our usage of sedative drugs has skyrocketed. Just between 1997 and 2004, Americans more than doubled their spending on anti-anxiety medications like Xanax and Valium from 900 million to 2.1 billion. The Journal of the American Medical Association cited a study that indicates that there's an exponential increase in depression. People of each generation in the 20th century were three times more likely to experience depression than people of previous generations. How can this be? Our lives statistically are safer than ever. We regulate food and water and electricity. Though there are dangers around us, most Americans don't live under the danger of imminent attack. Yet, if worry were an Olympic event, we'd win the gold medal. We are the most worried nation in the world, probably human history. And part of that, I think, has to do with our understanding. We have this work ethic, which is important to us, and oftentimes we identify with our work, and it's oftentimes that that we think about that as as the most uh, important part of us. But there are other nations in the world where that simply doesn't exist. My brother-in-law is the director of uh, Pepperdine's Lausanne uh, program uh, in Switzerland, and he said he had this fascinating experience. He was taking his group of students, which was about 50 students, um, he found this cafe that was empty. And they walk up to the owner of the cafe, Ezra said, hey, um, is, is it okay if some of our students come in and have coffee here. And the guy literally has nobody in his cafe with about uh, 70 seats with room for all the students. And the guy goes, I guess. <laughs> and Ezra's like, uh, okay. And then he said, more specifically, um, you, they can come in, but please only have 10 come in at a time. So Ezra's like, uh, 
okay. And so he has the, the 10 first students go in and then another group eventually goes in after that first group um, has left. And by the, the third group, the guy comes out to him and says, I've just FYI, right now there's um, 11 people in here. Can one of them please leave? <laughs> Customer service ain't a thing in certain parts of the world. Like I'm telling you, it's just, it's just different. And he says he's experienced that throughout Europe, that there's this idea kind of like if you have a, a cheese shop and there's a customer in it, like that customer is lucky to be in your cheese shop. Like that is like, okay, like I don't really care how much cheese I sell. I, I just think you're lucky to be part of this experience because I am like a cheese connoisseur. And that's just a totally different way of thinking about things, right? And I know for me, like sometimes as, as I think about this, this is just like the air that we breathe, it can be easy for me to, to get focused on, on, on my identity in, in a certain way. But what's helpful to me as I, I think about, you know, what is it that is causing perhaps stress or anxiety in this given situation? It's important for me to remember that I am not a pastor, that I'm a child of God who has a pastor side hustle. And then maybe an extra side hustle on the side after that. Um, but I, I don't really have anything else right now. But first and foremost, it is so important that we remember that we are children of God. And in the U.S., one of the reasons why I think there's so much anxiety is because we're constantly thinking about success and all, all these ways that we measure up. But what is a base note for your life that you come back to over and over again to remember that you are deeply loved by God as you are, not because of some sort of success? What is it for you? Prayer? Fasting? Scripture reading? What is it that helps you, that is part of your routine, that connects you with the fact that it's not just what you do that matters, it is who you are, and that Christ loves you, and that is the core of your identity? What are those places that you continue to come back to, to remember and to train your thoughts because there's all this stuff that we're constantly being told to, to worry about or, or think about or, or have anxiety about, but we need base notes to come back to. We need places that we can go to over and over again to remember that God loves us deeply, that we are all God's children. I think to, to find real lasting hope in a time of anxiety. We need rhythms and routines which help us to remember we are God's children. We need rhythms and routines that, that help us to, to center ourselves on the love of God. There was a, a study that came out um, of Kindle because on Kindle you can highlight um, anything. So what do you guys think is the most highlighted book on Kindle? Harry Potter 4. No, it's the Bible. Come on, come on. <laughs> it's the Bible. And the most highlighted passage then in the Bible is from the book of Philippians, which is, do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, offer your, your hearts up to God. 
And I think there's a reason why that's the most highlighted verse, because that is something that we would aspire to. Do not be anxious about anything. And sometimes you read passages like that, and you just say, hey, God, Jesus, that's not possible. You don't understand what my life is like. You don't understand the stresses and the things that I'm dealing with, but the actual, like, literal Greek of, of that passage is to say, like, just don't continually live in that space. So when a thought enters your head, have a thought that, that says, no, I'm not going to live in that space. I'm not going to go down that road because I've been down that road before, and it doesn't lead me to a good place. So do not be anxious. Don't let that constantly be in your heart. You're going to need practices. You're going to need things that help you to, to say, all right, this leads me down a road. I don't want to go down. I don't want to start there again. So, so Jesus, remind me that you are still here. There's a very practical piece of advice that Jesus gives on his most famous teaching on worry. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. And again, that can feel a little bit like Philippians. All right, I, that's not realistic for me, though. But what Jesus says is as you start to feel those things, as you perhaps start to feel that, that anxiety rising in you, just go look at a bird. Go look at a flower. A place that that has been for me, there was a person who had moved here uh, to our church from Ohio uh, several years ago, and, and she and I had lunch out here on, on Glen Oaks somewhere, and we came out, and she looks up at the Verdugo Mountains, and she said, oh, I just love the mountains here. And I thought, I hadn't even noticed that. I would have called that a hill. I don't, I don't, I don't even notice that, but from a person from Ohio, it's like the most majestic mountain that she's ever seen. But ever since that conversation, I've made it a point of my life that when I am feeling anxious and as I'm walking to my car uh, out of church, as I'm having a moment maybe where those things start to spin in my head, I look at that mountain, which is a mountain, and I like to think, that mountain is going to be here long after I die. And it was here way before me. Jesus gives us a very practical thing to do. As you think about the things that perhaps make you worried, what if you could just step into nature to look of all these things, look at the birds, look at the flowers, and recognize how wonderfully God takes care of them. And God loves you in the same way. So as you get out into your anxious world this week, may you find ways to center your thought life. May you find ways to truly recognize that your identity is in a God who deeply loves you, who sets us in this beautiful, broken, imperfect world. And that you choose to seek the things that remind you of that great love. I'm going to close with the famous words 
of Jesus on worry because there's just no one better to say it. And then I'll pray as we begin to worship again. I just invite you to close your eyes in this moment and think about something specific that is causing you anxiety. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry. Saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. God, may we lay our burdens at your feet this morning. And may we just simply think about what it is that we think about. Because every ounce of our body, it matters. And it makes a difference. May we seek professional help when it's necessary. May we raise our hand when we've had enough and reach out. May we find ways to practice dwelling on you and remembering whose we are in you. May we lift our burdens to you and allow you to work through them, to recognize that you're right there with us. Your son, Jesus, and I pray, amen.